You're listening to the All Indie Writers Podcast with host Jennifer Mattern. Helping serious freelancers, bloggers, and indie authors go pro. Hello and welcome. I'm Jen Mattern and you are listening to the All Indie Writers Podcast. Thank you for joining me today. This is episode 31. You can find show notes and related links for this episode at allindiewriters.com slash podcast slash 31. Today's episode is a special one. To help kick off All Indie Writers 10-year anniversary month, instead of one guest co-host, I have three guests taking part in more of a roundtable-style discussion. My guests today have all made appearances on the show before. You may have heard me refer to them collectively as my go-to gals. They are the colleagues and friends I most often go to to talk shop or get feedback on projects that I'm not ready to share publicly yet. And you should thank them because they spare you from the bulk of my writing-related rants. First guest you should be familiar with is Yolanda Prinzel. She's a former regular contributor to the site from its group blog days under the All Freelance Writing brand. And you can find out more about Yo at YolandaPrinzel.com. Then we have Lori Widmer, who runs the Words on the Page blog at wordsonpageblog.com. I'm very lucky in that Lori and I don't live far from each other, so we occasionally get together at my favorite Irish pub or one of the little cafes in her town, and she is a hoot. And last but certainly not least, we have Kathy Miller, who runs simplystatedbusiness.com. I tend to think of Kathy as the nice one or the grown-up in the group because she makes me feel like I need to be on slightly better behavior. She likes to think she just has me fooled, but I don't know about that. I will link you to all of their websites and the show notes, which you can find at allindiewriters.com slash podcast slash 31. The gals and I will be chatting about the freelance writing industry and how it's evolved in the last five or 10 years, as well as some of the biggest changes that they've seen in their own careers. Let's just jump right in. Welcome, ladies. Thank you so much for taking part in a group show today. How are y'all doing? Doing well. Doing great. Amazing. All right. So what we're going to do today is kind of a roundtable discussion to look back at the last you know, five or 10 years in freelance writing and kind of talk about how things have changed and what you're all doing now. So I have five questions for each of you, and we're just going to kind of go down the line. We're going to start with Kathy for this one. Um, So Kathy, tell us a little bit about your freelance writing specialty and your career thus far. Okay, my freelance writing specialties in healthcare and employee benefits and it kind of sprang naturally from uh, the fact that I spent over 30 years in a corporate career. I worked for insurance companies and brokerage and consulting firms. And before that, I was a dental hygienist. So that's kind of how the whole healthcare and employee benefits niche uh, formed for me. And then the other thing that I always say is that I have the distinction of my siblings as the first child out of seven who was born after my dad got health insurance. So I've always said that I was doomed from the womb to be in insurance, and that's what I did for like over 30 years. <laughs> so why would I change it now? So so that's uh, my niche. And how about you, Yolanda? What about your specialty? I started out uh, eight years ago. 
just working as a generalist writing for content mills, I was so just in love with the idea that I could, I could write shit and get paid for it and not put clothes on. It was, you know, <laughs> I, I was just in love with it. There's but a then, <laughs> then I worked the numbers and I realized that, you know, content mills, it's fine for dabbling, but that's not where kind of a, a serious business is going to uh, come from. So then I started thinking about it and I thought, well, you know, here I have this pretty in-depth background in, in finance where I've been, you know, a broker, I've uh, been an agent, I've been a marketing director of a, an insurance firm. I thought, well, you know, hey, why not capitalize on all that and become an insurance and finance writer? Um, so about, I think, a year or two in, I, I did that and then I started uh, really focusing in on larger projects like books and uh, pitch books and white papers, and then also ghostwriting. And Lori, you also write about insurance, right? You kind I of, do, you're yeah. all sort of tied together in that sense. I'm kind of the odd one out here. <laughs> I don't know how that happened that you, yeah. All the writers I know write about insurance. So Lori, how did they you get into- They need a lot of help. <laughs> <laughs> <They do. laughs> how so, about you? Well, a long sorted tale. <laughs> I, I actually started in the local newspapers as a correspondent. Now that was back one husband ago um, <laughs> when I actually had young children. So it, it was, uh, I did a couple articles a month and then it got to a point where I was doing one a week and then one every time they called, which was quite often. And then I moved, I divorced, moved. And I got a job at a magazine, and the job was writing about risk management and insurance, so I was kind of doomed. <laughs> so it, it, it was a path that took me right into the specialty before I even freelanced, and thanks to a shift in management and a good boss being replaced by one who didn't like girls, <laughs> oh, no. I ended up a freelancer, and it was actually the best move that ever happened for me. All right, so... Yeah, I guess I never really thought about that, that, you know, how all three of you kind of... You know, I didn't either, isn't that weird? It's <laughs> like, I knew it, but I didn't... Re I mean, I Lori and I talk about it all the time, but yeah. I thought, well, yeah, that's right, so is Joe. Yeah. Oh, fuck, you guys are competition. I got to <laughs> <laughs> No, you're on the financial side. You're totally safe from yeah. me. <laughs> Don't steal my trade secret. <laughs> Whatever those might be. <laughs> I think you guys have just told all of these newer writers now that, you know, this is a wide open market, so be careful. Watch your backs. <laughs> so, all right, let's move on. Let's talk about how you run your business um, a little bit, marketing specifically. Tell us about your most effective marketing or PR tactic and how you find new freelance writing clients. And we'll start with Yolander for this one. I am the worst person to lead a question in marketing. I don't market. Uh, I don't think that's necessarily good advice for everyone. I, I don't know if I'm just extremely lucky or stupid, but I, I, I don't market. Um, you know, the first couple of years I did some networking just to try to get my name out there. But eventually, Google and LinkedIn really took over. And, you know, I, so I get enough. So you market. You just do social media marketing and SEO. Yeah. That's still okay, marketing. I could take SEO as marketing. 
social media, though. I well, mean, that's what LinkedIn once every is. Six months. But just having your profile, having the presence, is enough sometimes. It sounds like you focus more on things like what referral marketing, relationship marketing, keeping existing clients more than finding new ones. Keeping existing clients is huge, yeah. uh, and I'm very lucky in that. You know, one of the things I focus on is is ghostwriting books, and once people start self-publishing books, they're completely addicted. So that's a lucky thing because I, I maintain clients, and I, I'm very good at maintaining relationships. I have clients who've been with me from the start. Um, but yeah, I, I guess I don't look at LinkedIn as marketing, but maybe I should. So um, I market really hard on LinkedIn and uh, through Google SEO. <laughs> Well, tell, hold on, let's go back a second. You were just talking about, you know, maintaining relationships with clients. That's something that we, that we call, um, well, it's partly PR, and it's also relationship marketing. So why don't you tell us what you do primarily to keep them coming back? Do you email them periodically? Do you, um, I know Kathy at some point had mentioned that she occasionally will... Um, email past clients things that she thinks will be interesting to them like articles and such do you do anything like that to stay on their radar you know I think I think there are a couple things first off I hit deadlines which sounds really stupid but so many freelancers don't hit deadlines they disappear they I don't know they have excuses they just don't they don't meet deadlines um, but also I spend a lot of time trying to understand what the client really wants so that the deliverables are ready to go, usually in the first draft. Um, and so I think those two things make people want to keep working with me. Uh, and then I, I don't know, I, I think the other thing is I get excited about client projects sometimes, some clients, not all of them. <laughs> but, uh, term clients I really do get excited about their projects so there's almost a feeling of investment you know that I am invested in their projects and they remember that and yeah. it makes them remember me so I'm not really reaching out to them they're like hey remember that one idea I had well I'm ready to go and I think I think because they know I was excited about it they know that I'll, I'll still know what they're talking about okay it reminds me of um, a testimonial that one of my clients gave me years ago where he said that one of the things he liked about me as opposed to other writers he'd worked with was that I treated his business as if it was my own. Um, it's kind of like what you said, you know, I would get excited about his projects, I was very invested in them, and I do think things like that are important. It really does help with that, you know, the relationship aspect of it. So I think that's actually excellent advice and not something that new freelancers necessarily hear a lot. So, so yeah, yeah, you started that beautifully. <laughs> That was and that, well, that's interesting, too, because I have had some client testimonials where they say, I treat their business as if it's my, they're my only client. Yeah. And at first, I was a little concerned about that. I thought, well, you know, shouldn't I make sure they know that I'm quite a busy and important person? <laughs> <laughs> but that's not the way to establish dominance in your career. That, that's not the way to control your time and control scope creep. You know, there are other ways to do that without letting them know that they're not important to you. Yeah, yeah. It's, in that sense, it's a little bit like dating. You know, you need to kind of make every client feel like they are the only one in the world when you're working with them. So That sounds yeah. like prostitution, though. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that too. <laughs> Whatever works. Doesn't sound yeah. like dating. Sounds like prostitution. <laughs> 
Then your point would be? <laughs> well, that's true, too. I, I, yeah, good point, <laughs> I was trying to give you some credit, Yo. I know you were a little concerned about starting the marketing here, but man. <laughs> All right. Why do you bother? Why? <laughs> I don't know. All right, let's go on to Lori. What about you? What's your most effective uh, marketing or PR tactic? You know me. I have a system. <laughs> uh, my, my favorite marketing tool is the letter of introduction, but I, I'm going to say that unless I couple it with a face-to-face, -face, it's not nearly as effective. Uh, I, I use them hand-in-hand. -hand. I use the letter of introduction to get my name in front of them, and then I use it as a jumping-off point to meet them at a trade conference because I go to one a year. I, it, I invest in one a year, no more, because I would drive myself nuts with it. And I, I use it as a conversation starter. And um, yeah, it's, it's basically, here's what I've noticed about your business. Here's what I see you're doing. And here's an article or something that goes right along with what you're doing. Perhaps you've seen it, perhaps you haven't, you know, and if at some point you'd like to have a conversation, I'd, I'd welcome a 10 minute phone call. That's very so straightforward. That, that's Sounds pretty good. much my marketing scheme. And, and like Yo says, a lot of referrals, well, not referrals, but repeat business. Um, it's, it's critical to keep them happy. Mm -hmm. I, um, and, and I would say this year, in fact, this has been a weird year. I have had, I would say 95% of my work right now has come from repeat and referral business. I have not had to market since May. And it's refreshing but frightening at the same time. Because, you know, you're always waiting for the other shoe to drop, right? But, yeah, it's, it's kind of a double-edged sword there. But, I, you know, I'm, I'm with Yo. It's it's not that I market a ton, but when I do, it's because it's very necessary and it's something that I think um, keeps my name fresh in the market. So, and Kathy, you and I had that discussion that I yeah. market even when I don't think I am. <laughs> yes, kind of like you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think yeah. that's true of a lot of freelancers. You know, we don't really think about all the little things we do day to day as marketing, but it really is. It's marketing or yeah. PR. Um, so yeah, you know, your social media updates, all the emails you send, the networking, all of that counts. It all adds up. So, let's... And, and I think what Yo said too, it pleasing them and making sure you hit those deadlines. I mean, my God, you're, you're so right, Yo. There are so many writers out there who think that the deadline is sort of this little guideline. No. It's, it's a moving it's, target. Yeah, it's kind of arbitrary. You do have to, <laughs> you have to hit, or mandatory, I should say. It, it's, I had a client come to me this week, in fact, after a hellish week last week. She came to me, and her note to me was, I'm glad we reached out. I love your style and how you think, and you seem to figure out what I want to say and how I want to say it, and that's just listening to her. You know, it's our jobs can be so much easier if we just listen to what our clients are saying. Very true. Very true. Yeah. Okay, sorry to go off on a tangent. <laughs> no, that's very helpful. Give Kathy a try now. You know, this is going to probably get boring because Yo opened with my number one networking <laughs> strategy, which is LinkedIn, that, that she thinks is not networking or not marketing at all. So <laughs> I actually, um, 
that is my most effective uh, means of marketing. And I'd love to say, you know, that it was brilliant strategy on my part that uh, had me falling into LinkedIn, but I would be lying. Uh, The reality is coming from a corporate career, and I knew nothing about social media. I mean, my social media was, you know, emails. That's about it. And so LinkedIn felt the most like traditional type networking that I was very accustomed to doing from my corporate life. So I started there and I started reaching out and connecting. The nice thing about having a 30 plus year career in the corporate world is you have more than one employer usually, especially nowadays. So I had multiple former employers that I could go to and let them know what I was doing now. And so that's how I built my uh, client base and I still use it. I, I believe in the networking aspect and pretty much what you know both Lori and yo are saying it's all about the business relationships so LinkedIn just I, I don't know if it's the platform itself or if I just didn't know any better and so I put all my efforts into that one platform and I'm a believer that as long as you pick something and work at it you can probably make it work and LinkedIn worked for me and still does yeah Kathy is the one that I would generally refer to as the LinkedIn queen. If I have questions about LinkedIn, I go to Kathy. Um, So we'll actually link to some of Kathy's article. I think you have blog posts on there that might be relevant to them. So I'll try to dig some of those up for them. And I should also note, I forgot, Lori has an ebook of 365 marketing tactics. So we will link you to that as well. And Yolanda has nothing because apparently she doesn't believe in marketing. So <laughs> get on that you know, for next time. <laughs> but her clients love her. I know. Uh, well, how can you well, not, right? You know, one of the things that I, like, you know, when I'm reading Lori's updates on her blog where she's, you know, talking about the LOIs and stuff that she sends out, one of the things I'm always thinking is that when you have a proactive marketing plan, like really, really marketing, like LOIs and stuff, <laughs> I'm wondering if you have a a more kind of stable business flow throughout the year. Whereas with, with me, it's kind of like when you go to the grocery store and there's no one at the checkout line and then all of a sudden everyone's at the checkout line, (laughs) you know, so I'll have these months that are, you know, huge. And then I'll have quiet months, which I personally like. And, you know, obviously financially I plan ahead for that. So it's not troubling. I can just sleep for a month and it's great. (laughs) But I, I think for a lot of freelancers, you know, taking Lori's method and, and being more assertive about marketing might guarantee a, a steadier workflow. Would you say that that's, by the way, I'm taking over the interview. Um, <laughs> is that true, Lori? I, I would say guarantee is a strong word. Um, it does help, but as you know, there's no guarantee here. Um, that's true. I, I have had the LOIs work to the point where I've had to stop sending them, yes. But that's not, again, it's not a guarantee, but it it certainly does help keep things steady. This year, most of my work this year came from the marketing I did last year or years prior. It It didn't happen overnight, but 
now that my name is finally out there, I don't know why it took these people 16 damn years to figure it out, but <laughs> I, I do specialize in their stupid industry. <laughs> it's, it took that long for me to get to a point where people are just showing up because they know I do it and they know that I am reliable. But yes, I, I think the LOI and the system helps. Any system helps, I think. Right, and I'm, I'm not a systematic person. Anyone who knows me knows I'm a little off the cuff. But um, when it comes to marketing, I think a system is is kind of necessary. No, I wasn't going to chime in with any of my own feedback here, but I have to on this one. So you go, you go for it. <laughs> because I, I don't want this you scaring. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I don't. Um, I don't want newer freelancers getting scared. Hearing it took sixteen years before they were coming to you. Um, yeah. That's <laughs> that is not normal. <laughs> no, it's not normal. Um, it's yeah. something that happens naturally. It'll build up over time, like Lori said. Yes. Um, what I do is what I call query-free freelancing. It focuses more on inbound marketing and public relations where you basically instead of sending out pitches and letters of introduction where you are approaching prospects you do things to attract them to you by becoming more visible and that goes back to what Yolander said about SEO having um, search engine presence and so when they're looking for a writer like you they find you before your competitors it includes things like you know I said public relations doing things that are newsworthy having press releases out there writing op-eds um, blogging is a big thing, social media interaction is a big thing. So things like that can help you attract clients. It's not as immediate as pitching. So what I would normally suggest to a new freelancer is that you kind of do a combination of what Lori and I do. You focus on building that platform, that visibility like I do, but while you are doing that, you send pitches and you send those letters of introduction to get some earlier clients in. Um, so just kind of know that it doesn't have to take that long and you don't have to commit to just one thing. You can, um, but don't neglect making clients come to you because that's where you're going to find that stability. You know, Yolanda was talking about the feast-famine cycle and you don't have to have that. You know, I have slow periods, but when I have a slow period, it's because I choose to take time off, not because prospects stop coming. And that's what happens when you have a consistent platform. So I strongly suggest focusing on that, and that's not anti-pitching, do them together in the beginning, and then decide what works best for you for your particular market. I want to move on now from marketing and talk about how the freelance writing industry has changed in the last five or ten years. So, and you can talk about this from a general perspective if you work with writers or from within your own specialty. But let's start with Lori for this one. What kinds of changes have you seen? Well, I, I've seen something that probably made a lot of us happy, the uh, slow, painful death of the content mill. Uh, it's not completely gone, but for the most part, it doesn't seem that writers are heading toward it as much as they used to. Um, I, I would say that there's a, from my perspective, there's a rush to quality for, from the clients. It, it mm -hmm. seems as though I'm having less difficulty, particularly in my specialty, finding clients who are willing to pay my price and it's because they know I know the job and I know their industry and I think the specialization does help um, and, and I think a track record helps even if you're a, a generalist I think a good track record with clients is 
pretty essential and it's going to help you be part of the rush to quality and that's from my perspective that's some of the changes I've seen because you guys know as well as I do when we started out you know a penny a word and people were saying you're foolish for not taking that come on really (laughs) that's 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 not even that's not even a job that's that's insulting but I, I see fewer of those and maybe that's a good thing, or maybe they're just masking it in better ways. I don't know. But, I mean, from this chair, that's what I've seen. What about you, Kathy? I would say the biggest change I've seen, and I don't know if it's true, but it's my perspective, is the number of freelancers in the market. It just seems like everybody and their brother is getting into freelancing. I, it could be a statement of our times, you know, that people are wanting to work for themselves or maybe are put in a position where they have to if temporarily, if nothing else. So it just seems like there's more freelancers in the market. And from my own specialty, and this kind of ties into what Lori was talking about earlier, I think the 16 years that it took for them to come to Lori is not so much a, a reflection on her as it is our industry that that we yeah. are in the insurance industry is notorious for hands off when it comes to social media or anything like that there there's you know been a real resistance to it and i've seen that change and like Lori, where in the beginning I would get resistance on what I'd be charging and, uh, you know, they could find somebody else cheaper when they find out what they get with that cheaper versus somebody who's been in their business and knows it inside, outside, backwards, forwards. It's worth it to them to come back. And just to give you an example, a brand new client that I got a month ago had their website, it's a brokerage agent or a general agency, and they had their website redesigned and they hired a marketing firm that was doing all of their marketing, not just the website. So it included newsletter articles and they wrote it in a style of like a journalist. And the, the, the reader, the targeted audience for this agency was brokers. And they were using terminology that to any broker would be like lighting a match to gasoline because they they weren't thinking about who the audience was. They actually didn't know the audience. So she came to me because she, you know, heard, I was referred, she had a referral to me and I made a statement. I said, oh, yeah, using that term is like lighting a match to gasoline. And her response was, I could kiss you for that alone. <laughs> and so that's what where I've seen the change in my own specialty is that more and more are getting receptive to it. They're slowly coming about learning that, hey, this social media thing's not going to go away. And you need to get on the bandwagon and you need people who understand your business and your markets. So that's the biggest changes I've seen. I'd like to add something there too. Kathy, I don't know if you've gotten them, but I have had press releases from insurance companies excited about their new social media presence. (laughs) 
like ten years behind, oh <laughs> and that that does explain why it took so long because it is a conservative it, industry. Exactly. Are they on MySpace? Twitter <laughs> <laughs> thing just had their heads all a flutter. It was. <laughs> Come like us on Facebook. <laughs> you know that that's a really good reminder for newer freelancers that there are industries that are still kind of behind. That not everything is saturated yet. Um, so that, that's a good thing for them to know. Um, again, don't go flooding the insurance market, leave these ladies alone. <laughs> so what about you, Yolander? What have you noticed? Well, both Lori and Kathy touched on something that I think is really important. And again, this would be for our industry. Um, social media, not, not only are agents and financial advisors really slow to adapt, but they also have compliance concerns and it, it took an extremely long time uh, for you know broker dealers and insurance company compliance departments to actually start releasing uh, directives that they could follow that they could feel comfortable with when you know blogging and, and working on social media so I, I could understand that being part of the lag um, that Lori mentioned and you know even part of the lags that I felt during the early part of my career too. Um, but one interesting thing that I've noticed is changing is with the rise of fintech and insurtech companies, the nature of social media and writing in general for the financial industry, it's, it's really evolving pretty quickly and it's really interesting to be a part of. You know, back in the uh, content mill days, in the demand studio days, when you wrote an article about the difference between life insurance, uh, term life insurance and whole life insurance, everybody was basically writing the same thing. And I think millennials kind of grew up in this, in this world where the internet was saturated with shitty content, you know, that didn't actually provide value and was more focused on keywords and, you know, uh, ad clicks than actually informing or actually entertaining. And now that those millennials are in the workforce and a lot of them are growing into, you know, higher positions within fintech and insurtech companies, they're taking a completely different approach to content and social media management as well. They don't want that churned out content. They want to put their generational stamp on it. They want, they want uh, personal stories. They want things that are really going to make a difference, even if you're writing the same difference between whole life and term life insurance articles. They want something that uh, offers new information and value to readers. And part of that, I think, is probably due to the evolution in SEO because, you know, we've gone from a model where Google was rewarding, uh, what, 2% uh, keyword saturation. And now we're moving to a model where it seems like Google is – evaluating based on, you know, readability and, and information uh, presented. But that's only one end of the spectrum. When I hang out on uh, some writer forums and I lurk menacingly, like Trump standing <laughs> behind Clinton during the state, um, <laughs> I just kind of see this end of the freelance industry that I'd actually forgotten about, which is the Elance Odesk end. Yeah. You know, I go through months 
forgetting that those places exist, forgetting that there are places that will pay you less than a penny per word, that will monitor what you're doing, that will, you know, install crap on your desktop to see what you're doing, to make sure you're working when you're supposed to be. I don't even know what that means for a freelancer. (laughs) Um, But there are so many freelancers out there who are writing books, you know, novels for $500, and they're encouraging other people to do that. So that's another shift that I've seen in the market because places like the Warrior Forums are coming out with these copyright-ended Gutenberg project oh, books. Oh, the um, public domain. Public domain, thank you. Yeah, they're hiring people to you know edit those for very, very low prices and then selling them on Amazon. Or they're hiring people to write werewolf, romance, alien, whatever is selling tentacle erotica (laughs) for very low prices and putting it on Amazon. So there's this new kind of exploitation in the industry that a lot of new freelancers are just too new to understand. And because a lot of it is focused on fiction, which is fun to write, even when it's tentacle erotica, don't ask me how I know that, Um, they're, they're kind of getting sucked in. So I would say those are kind of the changes that I'm noticing. So I'm going to chime in on this one too. Um, I, I really didn't plan to again, but I would kind of playing off of what Yo said about the exploitation and you had mentioned Google and their influence on quality. And I kind of see Google in a slightly different light. And I have a post scheduled in coming weeks for nakedpr.com where I plan on going into this more. But I think that Google, um, I have a very love-hate relationship with them. I don't like the way they meddle with things with other people's businesses, but... I think for a while they really did have an interest in improving the quality of content. And we saw that with things like demand where people were all but campaigning to get them to go after these content mills and they did. And I think that was really, that was probably the best thing Google's done. So I think that Google, you know, they started out with the right intentions, but what's kind of happened, what I've noticed at least, is that they're kind of killing content to a certain degree where now there's this idea of becoming an authority site so that Google will love you. And what I'm noticing are that sites that were true authority sites that were really, you know, big name blogs, big media sites, etc. And we're talking, you know, major magazine sites and such. They're kind of exploiting that authority designation now where I'm noticing that they're bringing in more and more guest posters and the person with the actual authority isn't writing as much. And what's happening is quality is just going way downhill on these sites that already have this sort of trust invested in them. And the problem is this isn't a one-time thing. This is the kind of thing that I'm seeing now all the time where content is being made to look authoritative and to look like quality content when it's really absolute shit, where the statistics are wrong, the information is bad, but as long as it is long and formatted, all nice and pretty, and stuck on a site that people trust for other reasons, it's being treated as if it's authority content and people are building their own reputations on writing this content and they are hurting newer people in the process. And now you ladies have known me for a while. You know, if I get riled up over anything, it's people who fuck over newbies, the people that we're trying to help. And so that's what I'm seeing. And I blame Google for that a lot because this whole idea of content needs to look this way or be this long 
Whereas, look, if you can answer a question in two sentences, then that's your fucking post. You don't write 2,000 words that you don't need. That is wrong. And Google will eventually come around um, and realize that. And length won't be such a big factor. You just watch that. <laughs> You're going to see them go back. And all these people saying, you have to write 2,000 words. You have to write 3,000 words. Um, no. And they're all going to come around to you. And everybody's going to have this mass rush to go and shorten their content or diversify their content. And it's just ridiculous. I mean, this has been happening for as long as I've been blogging. You know, it's ridiculous. But that is my issue with Google. That's a big change I've seen specifically with blogging. And I think a lot of people that are coming in learning to blog for clients are coming in now with this idea that quality content is about some very specific formula like that certain number of words, certain, you know, formatting, certain number of links. And that just isn't true. So that that's a big pet peeve of mine. Um, kind of came up with what Yo was bringing up. So I wanted to mention that. But so don't write stupid content thinking that it's high quality just because it looks nice. It's not. All right. So let's move on then from that little rant. And we're going to talk about, <laughs> you know, if you guys are starting over right now as a new freelance writer, Knowing what you know now, though, what, if anything, would you do differently? And we're going to start with Kathy on this one. What I say always is I wish I had concentrated or prepared better for the business side of freelancing. And a very simple example, I can remember in the early days, even though you know, I had a 30-year career and I wrote throughout that whole career and had all kinds of samples and things like that. I didn't think about that and had no portfolio when I started. And I remember, I think it was either, I think it was my second year. I hadn't written a, a white paper as a freelancer, had written tons for a global consulting firm that I worked for. And I got a call from uh, a client who is still a client today and she said, well, can you send me a sample of a white paper you've done in our industry? Sure, no problem. <laughs> Hung up the phone and sat down and made one up right then <laughs> and there because I had no sample to show her. And so if I had to do it all over again, I would have paid more attention to the business side. It took me a while, and I think a lot of freelancers make this mistake, to think of yourself as a business owner. I always had an IT department, a marketing department, HR, all that kind of good stuff. And when you start freelancing, you're it from taking out the trash to fixing your computer problems. So I wish I had done a better job of preparing for the business side. I've since found there's some great resources. I always use this one all the time. It's score.org. And it's mostly like retired uh, business owners, some entrepreneurs who help small businesses, and it's all free. They have webinars, they have sample forms, they have all kinds of information on their site. So if I had one thing I would do over, it would be to better prepare myself as a business owner. That's excellent advice, Kathy. Um, Thank you. Yolander, how about you? Why do you sound scared? Because it's you. <laughs> I'm 
<laughs> we never know what you're going to say. This is, uh, I was thinking about this question before the call. It's a hard one to answer because I really, really love where I am right now. And I don't know that I would have gotten here without fucking up as much as I did in the early days. You know, I'm kind of one of those people who has to, uh, who has to make mistakes in order to learn from them. (laughs) So I don't know. The only thing I can think of is maybe I would have focused more on building, uh, an internal concept of, of like control over my life so that mm. instead of in the early years feeling like, uh, you know, I had to answer emails immediately and put client needs and deadlines before my own. And, you know, when they say jump, ask how high, I think I would have spent more time kind of investing in my own life and realizing that this is my life, this is my business. And that comes first and putting that first isn't going to, uh, you know, make me homeless and put me in the gutter. That's an interesting point. Um, I actually had a question for you personally that kind of ties in here a little bit. Um, goes back to how you and I met. Um, the story briefly, for those who don't know, basically Yolander had somebody working for her, with, I think it was a family member, wasn't it? As a VA? It was my sister. <laughs> it was one of my sisters. Yeah, it was. And she... Um, had started posting comments on my blog um, under Yolander's name, I believe, you know, linking to her site to market for her. And Yolander, I guess, realized quickly that the comments that her sister was were posting, was posting, they weren't of the highest quality. They were kind of spam. And so Yolander... Well, she, to be fair, she didn't know. She, <laughs> yeah. she had nothing to do with networking online she when i told her you know what we want to do is get people to come to our site she thought i meant type in hey come to our site (laughs) (laughs) which is a completely understandable mistake to make that was my fault really (laughs) and then uh yolander did something that i to this day nobody else has ever done which was to send me a private email basically apologizing profusely (laughs) for her sister and she took responsibility and, you know, we kind of became friends from that ever since. Um, I just had a lot of respect for her for that. Um, but I did kind of want to ask you, you know, when it comes to hiring help early on, do you think you would have gone that same route or would you have maybe done something differently? Maybe train her a little better? <laughs> that's, a, that's a really good question. Uh, you know, it's hard. I think for a lot of us, uh, we're type A personalities. So any form of delegation is like, it's like pulling teeth, you know? And in the early days when I was balancing, uh, you know, I was working full time at Raymond James and I was trying to establish my career and I had a freelance writing site and I was trying to mine through Craigslist ads. I needed help. I definitely needed help. And I knew that while you know, my sister might not have the experience of, of someone else. I knew I could trust her. And no matter what, she would want what's best for me. You know, so even if she made mistakes, which anyone you hire could make mistakes, True. at least they weren't like malicious <laughs> mistakes or, or uncaring mistakes. And so I, I don't know if I would have done it differently, which is not to say that I made a smart decision because I didn't. <laughs> that was not a smart decision. And you should see the manual I made her, by the way. I made her a huge manual. I really seriously. But, yeah, I, I don't think I would have done it.
want it differently because I think I needed that level of trust, even though it was really not the best decision to make. I can understand that. I can. The only VA I've worked with was actually a family member. So I can understand that you needed that sort of, you know, level where you can, you know, just count on them to be there and you can say anything to them and things like that. It does make a difference. Um, I don't know if I would have done that again. Um, but no, that's interesting. I've always kind of wanted to ask you that and it's just never come up in conversation. So I figure huh, in front of everybody else. So, <laughs> all right, Lori, let's move on to you. with more confidence and by that I mean I would have learned to say no more um, I would have charged what I was deserving sooner um, and I would have turned down bad mixes right away um, not that I don't still make mistakes but I, I think having the confidence wasn't enough and I, I had confidence that I could do the job I just didn't have the backbone to say no when I needed to. And I didn't have the ability to push back because I thought every job counted and every job had to be done because if I passed up this person, I wouldn't eat tomorrow, which wasn't true. But um, yeah, I, I think that I would do defi differently, definitely. There, there's so much to be said for putting up boundaries that it basically sends a message that you're you're a professional and that yes we can negotiate but no you're not dictating you're you're not my lord and master you're my client and i i think that that in itself would have protected me from a lot of lousy decisions over the years i think that's excellent advice for new writers i do you have to know when to say no and you have to yeah, I know the confidence. And, you know, I, I have to say that given that, I still made a mistake two weeks ago. And it was a big one. I let somebody's emotional entanglements send me down the wrong path. And I, I gave somebody a rewrite who didn't really deserve one. And she treated me a bit like a school teacher treats the problem child in the class. And I let it happen. And... It, it, it's it's a habit that we sometimes have troubles breaking, particularly when we allow someone to lead with emotion. Yeah, you know, I think that you know the confidence side of it of standing up to people, you know, that that will develop for them over time. Um, but try to build confidence, understand the worth, you know, the value that you're bringing to the table from the start. Because the more confidence that you go into and the more you can say no when it's right to say no, like Lori's talking about, the better off you're going to be. Because if you keep trying to say yes to everyone, you before you know it, your schedule is going to be full of those yes clients, those yes gigs that you agreed to and didn't really want to. Um, and you're not going to be left with time to find something better. So don't get into that sort of a trap. So one more question for you ladies and we're going to start oh, wait, with... can i interject absolutely okay this is an interesting point that that lori mentioned which is saying yes to every gig and it, it kind of you know is something i referenced too that i didn't i didn't know i didn't want to be homeless so it was like <laughs> whatever but i think i think with more millennials 
entering the marketplace where, where they're kind of used to this idea of a gig economy, I think that the, the tendency to say yes early on, I think it's going to change. You know, for me, and probably Kathy felt the same way, when you leave the corporate environment where, you know, you have someone marketing for you, you have a paycheck that's steady, you know, you know relatively steady, you know what I'm saying. And mm-hmm. then you enter this world where you're self-employed and you're like, oh, shit, I don't know what's yeah. going to happen. It's a huge adjustment. And even now, I mean, I've been doing this for eight years. And, you know, prior to this, my husband was a musician. He's been a waiter. So he's even more used to the gig economy than I am. But I'm still like, wow, you know, maybe I should take this gig because what if something happens? And what if Google kicks me off the front page? And what if this? And what if that? You know, so I think it's really hard to embrace the just say no, you'll be fine and you won't be living in a box. It's really hard to embrace that mindset for some of us. Yeah. It, it is. And, and I have to agree because I was kicked to the curb and I had two kids to raise. And I'm thinking, how am I going to do this? So I made that mistake. I took the crap jobs, and that's my new category for them, crap jobs. And, you know, I I took a lot. I knew, I saw the uh, termination coming, so a month before I had all these contacts that I took home with me. That was the basis for my first jobs post-magazine. And... But it's it's a damn scary thing to be out there and thinking, I have to take this because if I don't, I'm not going to eat tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. It, it's but a how, tough I mean, but how do you even ever, you know, I, mm-hmm. I don't market, so I obviously don't have sleepless nights worried about it. But uh, there are times when I think, well, what? what is keeping me going? It's, it's so intangible. It's almost like, it's almost like being a trader for a living where you've got no product, you've got no, uh, tangible goods that you're sending out. You're just kind of, I don't know, you're just kind of there and people want you to write shit for them. And then you do. And then, I don't know, to me, it's very, uh, you know, you have the hefty savings accounts, you're not freaking out or whatever, but it's still very, uh, insecure sometimes. Yes. I, I don't know that I, I ever feel like a like a I don't know business owner who. Well, and particularly, particularly if you do have, and I think we've probably all gone through it. I remember my one year so clearly in my head where I'm cruising along and I've got what I forget who it was of your readers, Lori, that used the term anchor clients, which I just love that term. You know, your steady eddies that give you, you know, if not every month, at least several projects a year. And so I had those all lined up and I'm going along. I was on a retainer and all this great stuff. Well, the retainer, I lost the whole last quarter of, of, year in income because they got acquired uh my longest client uh the person i dealt with uh, left the company and went to another company and even though she um you know sought me out and i wrote for them for a while well then she got fired and then there was a third one so three of my anchor clients in the last quarter of the year disappeared overnight wow Mm -hmm. And if you don't think that shakes your, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. you know, there is that sense of 
oh my God, the desperation and what am I going to do? And, you know, and you're right. It's such an intangible to say, you know, be more confident. But I think what helped me because I used to lowball too and do and take ridiculous payments based off of the you know number of years of experience I have in the industry and everything. But I think what helped me was I had to make it more maybe the terms factual. I had I had to come up with here's my bottom line hourly amount. Like I remember the negotiating class I took way back in my corporate career that talked about using three figures when you're negotiating. You've got your top, you know, which is your dream, what you want. And then you've got your middle one that's acceptable. And then you have your bottom one, like absolutely not below that. So I identified those numbers. I made a spreadsheet out of it. So when I was pricing a project, I could see all three. And so the more I could quantify what was acceptable, the easier it became to say no. That's a great tip, Kathy. It's a great question because you don't know if you're turning down the last offer you're going to have for a month. Um, but what I try to do, and it's helped me, is I try to keep at least four clients who come back on a semi-regular basis, and I try to keep at least four of them engaged. I may not be working for them at that moment, but you know I stay in front of them. Um, and I'm always looking for the next one to replace the one who's probably going to disappear someday, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, like you, Kathy, I had to disappear within a matter of, I think, a week and a half, two weeks. And that was probably 40% of my income at the time. Mm-hmm. And I, from, from that moment, I realized I can't do this. I can't wait for them to disappear. I can't assume that they're there. I have to treat them like sand. And, you know, they're going to eventually fade away. And when they do, somebody's got to be there, you know. It's, I, I hear what you're saying, Yo. It is a very intangible situation we are in. And I don't think I've ever felt comfortable financially, except when all the checks come in at once. <laughs> and then that's a temporary thing. But, you know, to me, it's part of the challenge of it is knowing that, you know, I, I can build this up with a little more hard work. And I've been through worse, and I may have been through better even. <laughs> so it, it's just the challenge of, of keeping a, a business active that keeps me going. I, th- I think it's one of those things where I, I guess, you know how some people expect to just wake up one morning and suddenly they'll be happy with their lives? Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. not really how happiness works. Happiness is, not, I mean, I think it's something that you choose, and it's part, you know, acceptance and learning to be content and things like that. I think I'm doing the same thing with, you know, owning the freelance writing business. Like I'm expecting one day to just wake up and be like, yeah, this is going to be great. It's never going to change. Everything's always going to be awesome, but that's not how it's going to be. So I think, I think maybe for me, it's just about, wow, this counseling session is great. I'm so glad you guys. (laughs) 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 But I think for me, accepting, accepting the innate, risk and just knowing that you know hey that's what you signed up for don't let yourself be abused because of it 
there's always Starbucks. Yeah. And <laughs> there's always Starbucks. Exactly. <laughs> Never Starbucks, yo. You know me. <laughs> We have one more question, and I think we're on Yolander to start this time. What is the best advice you can give newer freelancers who are either starting out today or trying to grow their businesses in the current environment? After the last conversation, if I said, say no to jobs that you don't want to take, that would be pretty <laughs> shitty, wouldn't it? Um, <laughs> no, but truly, the advice would be just to learn to adapt. You know, don't drag your feet uh, responding to changes in your specialty industry or in the freelance writing industry. You know, be open to change uh, and and be ready to adapt because the industry is moving. You can either keep up with it or you can, I don't know, drag your feet and lose everything. I think that's a great tip. almost living in a box. That's a great tip. I'm even gonna, I'm going to take that a step further and say try to stay at the forefront of the changes and be the one leading, be that one, that thought leader, the one who becomes the recognized expert in these new technologies and these new you know niche issues that face you and your clients, um, if at all possible. You know, so you're not just one in a, a crowd. Um, but okay, Lori, how about you? Um, well, first off, I think I need to point out that environment in a lot of cases doesn't matter um uh, my best year was the year the economy tanked it was my absolute best year um so don't think that what's happening in the economy is necessarily going to reflect on you directly it may actually reflect to your advantage depending on the market that you're in um but i, I would say my best advice for newer freelancers starting out um i would say be careful comparing yourself to other freelancers. Um, I, I see too much of the, oh, they're doing it this way, I have to do it this way going on. And too many people chase different tales at the same time, let's put it that way. They read something on a blog and, oh, that's the way to do it. And next week, oh, no, wait, I'll do it this way because this person's blog says something different. Find things that resonate with you and create your own plan around that or adapt it to make it fit who you are don't try mm. to fit into someone else's shoes more excellent advice Lori. yeah look i know Lori and i in particular we write for writers we do give advice um and that applies to us too you know we don't know your business and your market the way that you do and the advice that other writers are giving you you have to adapt that don't ever take that as a you know all or nothing kind of proposition. You have to make it work for you. There's no generic advice that's going to apply to you and everyone else reading that article or in that community or wherever it is you're getting it. So that's an excellent point to keep in mind. What about you, Kathy? Well, since Yo and Lori just stole my ideas, I have Sure they did. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, no, what I thought was exactly that is find what works for you and and know that it's going to change and why it hits me so much I think is just because I'm old <laughs> I am in such a different place that probably I would imagine than let's say a 20 something year old who's starting out a freelancing career I 
I'm Medicare eligible November 1st. So, so I'm looking more towards the retirement side. I, I have a different lifestyle than, than a lot of freelancers. So nothing drives me more insane than somebody trying to shove down my throat that I have to do it this way because that's the only way I'll be successful. I have to earn six figures. I have to market this way or that way. And, and how I started eight years ago, it, what I wanted then and what I want now are very different as well. So just what both Yo and Lori said is you have to get in tune with why are you freelancing? What do you hope to gain from this? How do you define success and how do you get there? And then I'm, I'm kind of the old school cornball who on, you know, New Year's resolutions, I use that as a time to just kind of reflect back and say, okay, what I like about last year and what do I wish went better? And then I'll pick like one area to concentrate on for the year because I'm easily overwhelmed if I, I say, well, I didn't like this, 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 and this. Well, pick one, pick one. And it'll change it'll evolve and so what was important to you five years ago may be totally different today so that i, I pretty much underscore what both Lori and yo said that's all i have unless you ladies have anything else you'd like to share with listeners today don't go into the insurance industry <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you ladies so much for taking part today. I really appreciate you stopping by. Would you like me to tackle something specific in a future episode? If so, you can submit your writing-related questions through the contact form at allindywriters.com podcast, or you can email me at jen, that's J-E-N-N, at allindywriters.com, or you can leave a voicemail at 484-575-1345. You can find show notes and related links for this episode at allindywriters.com slash podcast slash 31, or you can access the podcast audio blog posts and related audio productions by visiting freelancetheater.com. You've been listening to the All Indie Writers Podcast with Jen Mattern. A Freelance Theater production. Freelance Theater. It's all writers need for life's little episodes.